Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Hello, today I am here with Mike Murphy. There is so much going on with his story. So we are just going to go ahead and jump right in. Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So would you take us back to the beginning of the cancer journey? I understand you were the caregiver. So can you give us a little bit of background? Yeah, so I think it was uh, probably 2002 now. And my girlfriend at the time, Margo, um, we were just laying in one bed one morning. I had my arm around her and had my hand right on her top of her uh, left breast and felt a, like a golf ball size lump. I said, what is this? And she said, I don't know. I go, well, you better check it out. She was only 29 at the time. And so uh, she checked it out. And um, a couple months later, she's a procrastinator. It's turned out to be stage three <laughs> breast, <laughs> turned out to be stage three breast cancer. So uh, we, we fought it for nine years until she took her last breath in June of 2011. Oh my goodness. When you felt the lump, had, had she noticed it and not said anything? No, I don't think she knew it was there at all. Cause that's a pretty good size lump. Very, and a very hard, I was shocked. And what even further shocking was, you know, uh, when we went to her doctor, he said, uh, Margo, I'm going to put a syringe in the tumor and, um, it's go liquid's going to come out, which will indicate it's benign. And then don't worry about it. You're only 29 years old. We put the needle in and no liquid came out. He said, well, oh, that's kind of weird, kind of weird because of your age, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going on vacation for a few weeks. So when I come back, we'll do a biopsy. So, so she freaked out over the weekend and called her parents and, um, uh, her brother or her father had a brother in Texas who was a surgeon. He knew the head of oncology at Stanford. And so, Within, within a week of that, she's a full-blown raging chemotherapy, and uh, they didn't even take time to freeze her eggs, which was very troubling for her at that point in her life. Okay, so wait, so back up a minute. She didn't wait for that vacation? She didn't wait for that doctor to come back. No, she went to her dad, whose brother uh, knew the head of oncology at Stanford, so she went to Stanford. That guy wasn't an oncologist or anything. He was just a general practitioner. Right. Okay. But it's still from the time you felt the lump to the time she actually had a doctor look at it was still several months, correct? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I would say probably we started this process in February, March. She procrastinated two months. I felt it again. Hey, you going to do something? Then she went and finally did something. Then we went to her doctor. So it was probably four or five months before she was at the uh, tumor board at Stanford Hospital. Wow. And when they said it was stage three, what treatment options do they recommend? Well, because of the size of it, they wanted to shrink it before they tried to uh, cut it out. So they gave okay. her six months of powerful uh, chemotherapy. She lost her hair quickly. Um, they, you know, of course it definitely killed her uh, reproductive system. You know, it, it was pretty intense and uh, she was a trooper. I've never met anybody like her in my whole life that took this, never once asked why me, never once complained and uh, just, was amazing. She was an angel. 
And after the six months of chemotherapy, then what was the plan? So then they were going to, when we went into surgery, they didn't know if they were going to do a lumpectomy or a mastectomy or even a double mastectomy. So they were going to go right. in and look. So they went in and they decided they could clear the margins. And so they just did a lumpectomy and they took out, I think, seven lymph nodes, four were cancerous. Okay. And was there any follow-up radiation? Did she choose to do reconstruction? So after the surgery, um, then it was, uh, I think, 45 days of radiation, supposed to take a pill of chemo tamoxifen for five years. Um, and so that's what we were doing. And so we were just, when we started this, we had only been in a relationship uh, nine months or so when I found the tumor. We got married in 06. Um, we tried to have a baby, she couldn't. So in 07, we were gonna do in vitro fertilization. And the guy said, hey man, I'm gonna pump you full of hormones. You gotta to go to your oncologist and get his blessing. And in that process, he found a little lump in her clavicle here. And so it now it metastasized to her bones and then it just took off. You know, I mean, we had a few good years after that. We tried a lot of, a lot of natural healing, alternative medicine, regular Western medicine. We tried a lot of things. Um, and then finally, um, it was December 1st, 2010, the doctor said, Margo, unfortunately, a cancer spread to the lining of your brain. If you have six, if you do nothing, you have six weeks to live. And if you treat it, you have six months to live. And so I actually wrote a book about those six months. It's an amazingly powerful book. If anybody's dealing with cancer in their life or anybody's dealing with anything in their life, because it's such a love story of one, our relationship, but then two, how loving she was and how kind she was and how strong she was. And I literally watched this amazing young woman transcend suffering. And believe me, the suffering was immense and transcend death. And so every day for those six months, she fought to stay here and keep living. And every night she prepared for that last breath. And I was blessed to be able to witness this and it forever changed my life. Wow. Okay. So I, I do want to back up for a moment. So what was the from the time that she was done with that first round of treatment with, she had the chemotherapy, she had the um, lumpectomy, lumpectomy, the radiation. So once she was done with treatment and then she is on the tamoxifen, but from the time radiation ends until the time there was a recurrence, how long was that? So I would say before we knew there was a recurrence. I mean, she suspected it, right. you know, much prior to, after she passed, I look at all the files, they knew it would metastasize her bones way back in 03, never told her. So I was probably three or four years before, um, you know, it was full blown stage four, let's say that. Wait, okay, so let's go back for a second. So you have gone back and read the medical records and you're saying that they knew it had metastasized? Yeah, they suspected bone metastasis in 2003 and never never came up in conversation anyway. Why? Why do you think that is? Well, you to speculate. I've, you know, the, the, the system's not run very well. You know, these doctors are right. way too busy. Um, it's just a very poor system. And so they missed it. I mean, I, I started a nonprofit after this. I could tell you horror stories of stuff they've missed in a 25-year-old that ended her life terribly. So, I mean, it's just a, it's a flawed system. Okay. And you said also that Margot thought that it had come back. Well, because she could feel it, you know, she was very in tune oh, to really? her body. Yeah. So we, I remember we were on a hike probably 
2005 or something. She goes, man, my hip, you know, I, I, she goes, I don't, I think it might've spread to my bones because her hip was so sore. So, and she was so intuitive, you know, so, so yeah. Wow. And so what were those last six months? Like you, you mentioned her, but what about what, what were they like for you? Well, they're, they're surreal. You know, I mean, we went all over the prior to that. We've been to India, uh, those six months. We, we, we were living in Northern California. We ended up in Southern California. Uh, we rented a place in, uh, in Santa Monica. So she could get treatment at USC medical center. Um, just, just, just full brain radiation therapy and, and all that drama and, and the, 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 emer- the ambulance rides to the emergency room when something wasn't going right. Um, and just uh, watching you, someone that you care for and love so deeply go down to 90 pounds and they put, actually put a, you know, she already had a port in her chest. They put a port in the top of her head so they could drop chemo into her cerebral spinal fluid. Before that, they would inject through her vertebrae uh, chemotherapy into her cerebral oh. spinal fluid through the vertebrae. I mean, I, it, the book is fascinating because the, the, just the six months of these procedures are draining the lungs. I mean, there's a picture in the book where they took out two quarts of liquid out of her lungs. And then when they pulled it out, you know, the doctor inserts it, but he goes and it takes 20 minutes to drain. Then the nurse pulls it out. The doctor's gone. She can't catch her breath. She thinks she's dying. I mean, all, I could tell you stuff. I mean... This it's just surreal. That's all I can say. You know, people, if I told you everything, you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> well, I, I would, I promise. <laughs> well, um, I, I read your bio. So my condolences to you and your sister. And, and we ended up kind of in the same field because of loved one going through this process. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. One question I, I really like to ask that is specific for caregivers is, how is your experience different from hers? Well, in a number of different ways, right? I mean, I'm there in mind, body, heart, and soul, but I'm not the patient, you know? And so what I learned early on is, you know, to take a lot of good notes and to keep the files. And that really became my job. And I would research, there were times, I swear to you, I knew more about what was going on with the case than the doctor. You know, we would go to so many different doctors. You know, you have oncology, you have a radiation doctor, you have a general practitioner, so on and so forth. And But so many mistakes were made, and I would research. I would find myself researching hours, you know, what's going on in this situation and what is the solution? And and I was like co-doctoring this thing with him because I was that involved. I'm I'm not sure everybody gets as involved as I was. But but really, I mean, some bizarre stuff where they – I mean, literally, she'd come out of brain surgery in, in uh, L.A. We're putting her, we, we take the SUV, we make a makeshift ambulance. We get her da- laying down comfortably so we can drive back to Palm Springs two hours away. She has a grand mal seizure in the back of the car. So I'm in front of a, a hospital yelling for an ambulance, okay? And so long story short, back into the hospital, they they screwed up the surgery, had to redo it. Then when we get home, she has cerebral Spinal fluid leaking out the top of her head. They don't know what the problem is. We have to take videos and send it to the doctor. Finally, they were able to figure it out. So it's almost like, you know, so many things go wrong and it's, it's frustrating. I got to tell you, and I, my heart goes out to anybody that's dealt with this as a loved one. Um, but all I can tell you is, man, be their advocate, be there for them. They need you. And, uh, 
thank God, you know, I, because I, I, right after my wife died, I was with another cancer patient that didn't have this support and, and it's, it's debilitating, right. you know, it really is. How long were you guys married? We were only married five years. We were only together 10 years. I mean, we, we, we weren't ever supposed to be together. You know, Plato talks about twin flames, which is one soul cut in half and you spend many lifetimes looking for the other half. So the, the moment yeah. we met, there was an instant connection, but we were both married to other people. We were never supposed to be together. And so just the fact that we ended up together was a miracle. And then to find this, you know, nine months into this relationship and then to spend nine years. But I'm convinced now that, that this was all meant to happen for my own personal soul growth, for her personal soul, soul growth, my kids, our spouses. I mean, everybody ended up in a better place uh, through this horrendous experience, including Margo. So it's... So let me ask you about that. I'm curious. When you guys met, you were both married to other people. What happened for you guys to be able to end up together? Just because so, you hear you hear so many different stories and, and no judgment from me at all, yeah. trust me. But I'm just curious, like how did it work out that you guys were able to be together? So I was a Chevrolet dealer. And she walked, she was, she worked for Telemundo, the Hispanic television company. And she walked into my office uh, and she got into my office uh, by telling a lie to my sales manager. But anyway, her and her friend, her, 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 <laughs> I like her, her already. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I'll tell you, cause the book is very transparent and fun. So, so her and her friend are doing a cold call. It's very impossible. It's almost impossible to get into my office. And so they tell the general sales manager, Hey, we met Mike last week in Vegas at a strip. We're strippers. We're from Vegas. We met him last week. He told us to come see him. Okay. So I wasn't, I've been in Vegas in years and I wasn't at a strip club. So, so they get in my office, but the moment she walked in, our eyes met, there was this most profound connection I've ever felt in my entire life. We didn't talk about it for seven months, but same thing for her. So for seven months, we were working together. She was falling in love with me. I didn't know it. I was falling in love with her. She didn't know it. And it got, it got so overwhelming, powerful. There was no stopping it. But the minute we started an affair, within three weeks, we had both separated from our spouses by saying, hey, we just need a break of time. Biggest mistake of my life. I give anything to go back to the, I have one regret in my life to go back to my wife and my four kids and say, hey, I love you guys and I'm sorry, but I met someone, I fell in love and I'm leaving. And it's like ripping that bandaid off instead of a slow pulling it off, boom. And it would have been over. And if she'd done the same thing, we would have, we would have eliminated so much drama in our life, you know, and so much heartache just by telling the truth. So that's my big message for people. Is, so wait, know, but wait, you said within three weeks though, you guys both separate seven seven months together we worked together no nothing right. inappropriate we were I, right. I i had married my wife twice okay i'm i'm the last guy on planet earth ever getting divorced okay i have a four million dollar house i'm making millions of dollars i have four beautiful kids i i coach little league baseball i teach bible study at the church i'm the last guy on planet earth ever i swear to you ever getting divorced She'd been married two months the day she walked into my office. She's very proper. She's not going to get divorced. She's not going to, I mean, it just wasn't never going to happen, but it, there was no stopping it. And, and so that, so. So you're so, saying you wish you had ripped it off at the very beginning. 
Told the truth to our, to, told, no, to, told the truth. No, no, no. We had to play that out. We had to work together for seven okay. months. And fall That's what up. I thought. Okay. But then when we, just, when we started a relationship, now it was time to be honest with our spouses and we lied and that's the regret. Right. But, but, but you lied all, for less than a month. Am I getting this right? Well, no, no. So what we did is we, we started a fair, we go home, we separate, but we tell them, I just need space. I just need time. We don't tell them oh, that there's Oh, you didn't say there was somebody else. Exactly. And so, oh. so, so, so imagine, imagine this, Andrea, that, that, so, we, so we start a relation, we're living together, but nobody knows it. Okay. I have four kids, little oh. kids. You know, and so no one knows it. And then four months into this deal, her husband finds out all hell breaks loose. Three months after that, my wife finds out all hell breaks loose. And a month after that, I find this tumor in her breast. I mean, I was in nowhere's land. Okay. Here I am. And I love my family more than anybody on planet earth. And I loved her and I was stuck. Okay. And my doctor said, Hey man, odds are she's not going to be around long. You know, I said, you know, I was stuck in this place and I spent two or three years just in this drama and, and all of us. And it was terrible. That's my point. I get it. Okay. All right. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what, did there come a time that your kids were older and they got to know oh, her a little bit? Oh, my kids fell in love with her right away. I mean, she became a huge part of their life. She helped them in so many really? different ways. My oldest daughter, who was 20 when this started and probably met Margo when she was 21, she said, Dad, I'm supposed to hate this woman. In 10 minutes, I'm in love with her. Okay. My youngest, <laughs> my, my youngest daughter, Kelly, so she became a troubled, you know, drugs and alcohol kind of kid. We put her in the second nature where we put her in the Utah mountains for five months to break her down. And so we go there, me and Margo, and, you know, there's six families there with their troubled kids. We're in this campfire thing. And tell us something we wouldn't know about you if we, you know, that we can't just look at you. We wouldn't see. And, and Margo says, you know, I, I can't have my own children, but Kelly's like my own daughter to me. And then my daughter, Kelly says, you know, Margo's like my mother to me. I mean, tears were just flowing through me, right? I've been through holy hell and hero, you know, and even my ex-wife, Lisa, even she would like, she liked Margo. We would all go out. Once she got a boyfriend, everything normalized. We go out as family, we'd celebrate everything together. So. Okay. That's awesome. That's so good to hear. That really, that really is. When you think about Margo, what is one memory? If you could only get one to hold on to, what would it be and why? Well, when you said that, and it's probably because I looked at your website and there's a woman, a bald woman there, right? And so I'm assuming that was your sister. But so I'll never, there's one picture and it's in the book where, where you know, Mark, you know, the hair's starting to fall out, but it's still down to here, right? No, no, no. I'm going to the barber shop. And so you have a picture of her in the barber chair, cutting it off and coming <laughs> out with but this huge smile on her face. I mean, like, like you can't believe, you know, I, I've, you know, I think about her and so many, so many experiences since she's gone that were so profound that we, it's just, she was my angel. She still is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it. What was your worst moment in all of it? Well, her death for sure. Um, you know, I, um, I was so devastated and, uh, so grief stricken that it was the worst moment of my life. And it turned out to be my best because. I had no defenses left. I was, I was defenseless. And in that devastating grief, God was able to come in, fillet open my heart, take out all the arrogance, self-centeredness, 
BS and replace it with love. And, and the healing started to happen. It took, I mean, it, it still goes on. I mean, you lost your sister. I'm sure your parents, if they're alive, I mean, this, you, you'll never be the same again. When you lose someone this close to you, life will never be the same. It's just a matter of how you process it. You know, people either get better or they get bitter. And if they get bitter, their life is over, you know, but for those of us that go through it and we can go through it and feel it and, and, and be there that, that little, that big hole in our heart gradually fills with love and love and love and we're forever transformed. But going to a movie will never be the same. Birthdays will never be the same, but that's not a bad thing. It's just a different thing. So, so we just have to go through this process of grief. And, and it's, you know, Rumi said that grief is the uh, garden of compassion, you know, so there, there, there's something there for us, but we have to go through it and experience it. And it hurts. You know that. Yeah, I do. What was your best moment? There were so many. I mean, you know, I mean, just the fact that we, what we went through just to get married, you know, in 2006, you know, uh, we got married and all her friends were there and they start singing. Looks like you finally made it or something because we went through holy hell to get to that altar. And so yeah. and then the thing. So that was that was 2006 in Santa Monica. But we also when she was terminal, we did a renewal vow ceremony in Venice and that will always stay with me. It was so magical, so beautiful to, to renew our vows in, in this difficult situation. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What's one thing, Mike, you wish you had known at the very beginning? Let, let's say like when, when you first felt that tennis ball sized tumor. You know, I was a 44 year old guy, typical American. Uh, trusted the media, trusted trusted the medical system, trusted Big Pharma, um, and so when we got into Stanford, we were excited. What 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 I realize now that we all have the ability to heal ourselves, and that everything we need is within us. It's it's interesting. We have these two eyes always looking out, but divinity, God, Creator is not out there it's within us and so that when we can go inside and and realize that we have this healing potential inside of us already and that the brain is the greatest pharmacy in the world and it makes these amazing chemicals that can heal us and and that the real problem is toxicity you know the water's dirty the food's dirty the air is dirty so we need that detox this is why i'm building this retreat center in columbia so that people can come here and physically detox the body but then detox the mind and then move into the heart and clean up any emotional wounds uh, louise Hay says almost every illness is linked to some emotional wound and i think that was true in margo's case as well so once we once we can detox the physical get this thing straightened out and move from here to here and live from here you know my my heart can't lie to you this can lie to you all day long this can't lie to you so i try to live from here and then use this supercomputer to create the life of my dreams so that's the thing you know we have the ability to heal ourselves okay if you could only do one thing to improve health care and i mentioned this before we hit record we're going to do both countries so one thing to improve health care in the u.s and one thing to improve healthcare in Colombia, what would it be and why? And let's start with the U.S. since that's where Margot was treated. Okay. So, uh, you know, what I noticed there, not in our case particularly, because we had money. Um, I was always there with her. She was an amazingly beautiful woman with a great personality. 
But what I noticed right after she died, a friend called me and said, hey, my sister-in-law is moving from Wyoming to the Bay Area, 38 years old, stage four breast cancer and three children. Can you take her to Margo's oncologist? I said, sure. And so what I noticed, I took him. And so he says, hey, I need some tests. So we had to go to like four different institutions and get various tests. And Amanda was African-American. She didn't have good insurance. She didn't have extra resources. She didn't have a husband. So I'm just going along with her. And what I noticed was they would either talk down to her or talked over to her head. And I felt very, very uncomfortable, right? But then we go back to Margo's oncologist and he says, Amanda, the best protocol to extend your life are these three chemotherapies simultaneously. Unfortunately, your insurance will only pay for one. So that's all I can give you. And I was flabbergasted. I mean, I was blown away. And I said, hey, here's my credit card. You give her whatever it is she needs. And unbeknownst to me, that was the seed of what became the Love for Margot Foundation, a nonprofit that serves women below the poverty line while they battle cancer. So I would say it's the injustice, the injustice of the system, the unfairness of the system. You know, it's, 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 it's sad and it's heartbreaking. Because since starting this foundation, I've sat with 150 women below the poverty line and I've seen story after story after story. So I know it pretty intimately. What if you could only do one thing to change healthcare in Colombia? Well, all I can tell you about Colombia, and, and I'll give you an O2 study from the World Health, World Health Organization. In O2, uh, we were ranked 22nd in Colombia in healthcare. United States was ranked 37th. I was just talking to a friend. What down was here Columbia down. ranked? 22nd us 37th uh -huh. a friend okay. of mine was just a friend of mine was just telling me in a new survey i haven't seen it so i'll get you know these are going to be fuzzy numbers but pretty close us is now 54th in the world in healthcare and columbia 17th i'll give you one personal example is i had yeah, a torn please. i had a torn meniscus in my knee and it was very swollen i could barely walk i'm limping around so i go to the best knee surgeon here in all of columbia does all the national soccer players. Okay. Big time. Right. I have a 30 minute consult with this guy, 30 minutes. Okay. Going over all the options, weighing all the pros and cons. The cost was a hundred thousand pesos, which is probably $25. Okay. I mean, every time I go to a doctor, I mean, they talk to you, you know, and, and it, they, it's so different and, you know, the, and it's very heartfelt, you know, and in America, I feel sorry for these doctors. They don't learn anything about nutrition. Now, every, every year, the insurance regulations get tighter on them. Okay. They get more codes, more screw ups. They don't get paid. I mean, my poor doctor, he's a dear friend of mine and I watch him running himself right into the ground. He's working so hard, making less money. And it's just, it's, it's so sad. You know, it's so we don't need to control it. It's just, it's a simple thing. They should honestly get paid when every month I'm healthy, I should pay them. And every month I'm sick, they should treat me for free. That's the way the system should be. <laughs> yeah. it's, we have a sick care system, not a health care system. Right. Is, is Columbia a single payer system? Well, I don't know what it is. I mean, to be honest with you, my, my wife, we have very good insurance here. We have private insurance. I think for the most people, I think, I think they have to wait along for the poor people. There's, you know, half this country's in poverty. Right. And so I don't right. think the system is that good, but it, when they get to see it, but it, the other thing is Columbia is they go to the ER if they have a runny nose. So that's the other thing. So two different cultures, <laughs> two different animals. Um, but, but I'll tell you what, I have a heart issue right now and I have a choice to get it treated in America or Columbia and I'm choosing Columbia. So there wow. you go.
Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, that's definitely that's a great example. Um, and you said, so you are remarried? Yeah. So in uh, two th- I moved here in 2015 and we still live in California. We go back and forth. I have, like I said, four kids, seven grandkids, but I, I, I fell in love with my attorney, married my attorney. And uh, so now we're building this retreat center here. So I have a partner because I don't speak that good of Spanish. So I need all the help. <laughs> <I can. laughs> <laughs> and see, I just assumed you did. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, how do you, you survive you would, if you don't? <laughs> you, you, you would think I did. Uh, Margot's uh, parents were Peruvian and she spoke Spanish. And my new wife, Sarah, speaks both languages. You would think I would get it by now. But I had no enough to get around. Let's say that. That's good. <laughs> All right, Mike, are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? I'm ready. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains? Well, all three. I mean, let's see. So, I mean, seriously, like right now, I know I need vitamin D and I'm in the mountains at 7,000 feet. So I'm going Whoa. to the beach. So, so I'd say beach right now because I need some vitamin D. Okay. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? <sighs> Got to go Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Passionate. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Did it my way. The last meal you want to eat. Good one. I would say artichoke with hollandaise and a steak. And the last person or people you want to see. My wife and my kids. And the last words you will speak. I love you. And aside from Cancer U, what's one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And of course, please tell people how they can get in touch with you and your foundation. Yeah, so I'm sponsoring this company in the UK. They just did a whole seminar. The guy, his name is Mark, and he had cancer. He beat it. And their philosophy is that cancer is more of a, uh, like, bacteria or just, you know, waste products, right? And so I'm sponsoring that. So I think that's a great resource. I can't remember the name of it right now. But the other thing is there's a guy here in America, uh, it's Chris Chris B. Cancer, and he has a lot Mm -hmm. of great materials great material. And then also, um, uh, Ty and his wife, uh, Bollinger, um, the truth about cancer. So those are two good resources I would do, but once okay. again, I would re- I would re- I would research all the natural alternative things and, and realize there's a lot of answers out there. And how can people get in touch with you? So the best way is my personal website is Mike Murphy and just put in your uh, name and email. We'd love to have you. We have a lot of great products there that you can use. Um, then the other one is our new retreat center, which is mountainsofhope.com. And we also give a scholarship through the Love from Margo. Uh, so we do 16-day transformational health retreats. Uh, and you can go to lovefrommargo.org and you can apply for a scholarship. So we have one person come every month uh, free of charge, everything. We fly them down here and try to teach them to heal themselves. Oh my God, that's amazing. All right. We will make sure those are all in the show notes. And Mike, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and Margot's story and just, and, and just, and being so honest uh, about it all and, and unfiltered. I like the, the Mike Murphy unfiltered. I get it. I get it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and thank you for what you're doing. So God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. 
If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.